0: Welcome to Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at com, and visit the Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire blog at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider donating. Even if you toss me five bucks, it makes me feel better than as if you actually care about me. Visit www.writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click on support the blog to donate either by giving to GoFundMe, through PayPal, or you can support me by buying me a coffee, which trust me, is dearly needed. Today's guest is Sean Petrie, a founding member of the poetry group Typewriter Rodeo and co-author of Typewriter Rodeo, Real People, Real Stories, Custom Poems, from Andrews McNeil. He also has six short children's books coming out in 2019 and 2020 from Hofton Mifflin. Sean teaches poetry workshops, has an MFA in writing for children from Vermont College of Fine Arts, and types his poems on a 1928 Remington portable typewriter. Sean joined me today to talk about typewriter rodeo, writing impromptu poetry on the spot, and how using a typewriter to slow yourself down can boost your writing process. I was one of the girls it could have been. Only Jamie answered first, and it got her killed. How She Died, How I Lived, the powerful new novel by award-winning author Mary Crockett tells a story of strength and friendship in the wake of a classmate's brutal murder. Available now. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Talk about Typewriter Rodeo and explain what that is all about.
1: I'm one of the Four members of a group called Typewriter Rodeo. What we do is we type poems on the spot for people at events, kind of all over the country. Sit there with our old manual typewriters. Mine is a is a 1928 Remington portable. And people at an event, like say it's a museum exhibit opening or an arts festival or book festival or something like that, uh, the guests at those would come up to us, and I would say, "What what can I write you a poem about?" And they Give a topic, and then in about, I don't know, three or four minutes, I make up a poem based on whatever they've given me um, right there on the spot. They get to keep that copy of the poem because it's it's on an actual typewriter. So it's this thing that we started doing, like I said, about I don't know, five and a half, six years ago, not thinking it was gonna last more than that day. We did it for a maker fair here in Austin, Texas. Once it started going there was a line of people and they kept coming and and somebody said do you guys do this at, at events and we looked at each other and we're like uh sure we do <laughs> and so it was crazy it kind of snowballed from there and actually at that same event we had four of us clacking away on these old typewriters and somebody was like you guys are like a typewriter rodeo and we <laughs> wrote that down and registered the domain name that night
0: that's amazing and you guys actually have a book as well now
1: we do. It came out earlier this year. And so when we're doing this, we're asking people to give us the topic for a poem. And sometimes it's one word. It's like, uh, cheese, you know, that but other times people will give us very personal things for their topics, some of their hopes or some of their fears or things that have happened. Like I had a really bad day, just lost my job, or I'm starting a new job, or even more personal than that. A lot of these have stories behind the poems. And so we were able to get in touch with some of those people. The book is a collection, not just of the poems, but also of the stories behind those poems. And then in a lot of cases, the people sent us in pictures or more of themselves, or if it maybe it was a pet, you know, a picture of their pet or whatever it is to, to go with the, the, the poem. So the book, again, that's not, not something we ever thought was, was going to happen way back on that first day.
0: I can't imagine... Improving like that Uh, occasionally when I'm traveling the organizers try to have fun events together and they will do things like line us up and give us a prompt or they have the kids you know give us something tell us a story about this and I can't do it like it is just not something that I am capable of I had a friend of mine send me a text he has three kids under four and he sent me a text and he's like I've been given the task of telling a story about a princess a tiger a swamp and a cowboy make up the story for me please i can't do it anymore i can't be a parent right now and i was like dude i can't i was like you don't understand this is not how i operate so i personally am just like amazed honestly that you guys have that ability also, not only are you improving a poem on the spot, but you're having right. to change your tone. Like you said, someone can come up and yes. say, write me a poem about cheese, and then the next person says, write me a poem about my mom dying.
1: Uh, there, yeah, there's so many things in there, and, and that's one of the parts in the book. This is at a huge music festival for, for Willie Nelson. There were like 10,000 people there. We've been typing poems. We typed for like mm-hmm. eight hours that day, which was crazy. And these two young women came up, and the one was like, okay, I want a poem about babes, bacon, bakeries, and boners. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> so I write her this funny poem about that, and it was a rhyming one. And then it was, I was like, oh, that's good. And then her friend leans in, and she's like, yeah, um, mine's a bit darker. My mom died 10 years ago, and my dad died 10 months ago. Can you write me a poem about that? And I was like, oh. And you that shifting gears, yeah. too, into something like that is, is just... That's how people are. Like Everybody has their own story. And it's amazing to me how much you learn about Mm -hmm. people doing this because some people feel like they can share. It's it's easier to share with a stranger. So, yeah, we have that. And then in terms of doing it on the spot, part of it is not thinking too much about it. It's going with the the first thing that comes in to, to my head and then also reading A little bit of the energy or whatever it is from that Mm -hmm. person. So somebody else could give me a poem can come up and ask for a poem about cheese right after, you know, somebody who just did one, and it would be a different poem, because that's a a different person. And also, I think there is a little bit that has to do with if if you said to me right now, Sean, make up a poem or a story about a panda I would have a hard time doing that, just right. talking about it. I'm making up a, a verbal story. But having the typewriter right there helps in some ways, I think, because you you see the words come out, the other person sees them. It slows you down just enough, I think, to me, at least, to, to get those thoughts there. You've got an audience of one right there who's standing across from you, you know, waiting for their poems. So- you can't have writer's block. You have to give them something. It have to be a masterpiece, but it, it does have to be something. You can't like, oh, here's your blank piece of paper.
0: <laughs> it's just not in my my skill house. It's just not there. A poetry in general, but also that style of improv uh, writing, especially with your audience right in front of you. I would imagine that would be like intimidating. You have you're getting immediate feedback.
1: It is. Oh, yeah. Which which can be awesome, too, because in terms of immediate feedback, because as, as writers, we so rarely get mm-hmm. <laughs> feedback. But with this, it's instant. And it ranges from like, oh, thank you to like a smile to like people crying and come around the mm-hmm. table and giving us hugs, you know, and that's amazing. And people who years later will contact us and say, I still have your poem on my fridge or framed and I read it almost every day and like having that impact on just mm-hmm. one person's life. I had one where it was at a wedding, and this kid, he was about 10 years old, and he came up and he's like, can you write me a scary poem? And I was like, sure. And so I start typing the poem, and he comes around behind me, so he's looking <laughs> over my shoulder as I'm typing, and he's like, what's it going to be about? And I was like, I don't know. And the poem ended up being about whatever you do, don't turn around, because there's something creeping up behind the two of us right now. You've got somebody waiting right there, which... Yeah, can be intimidating. I can't yeah, even that, imagine. Yes.
0: So you mentioned the typewriter and having that tactile feedback and how it slows you down. And that is part of your process. I've read quite a few articles lately talking about how a lot of writers are returning to typewriters and they're returning to handwriting as well as a way to get out a first draft yeah. to get away from the laptop so I'm curious why did you choose typewriters in the first place
1: it was not really a conscious choice Jody Edgerton who's one of the other typewriter rodeo people she was friends with the rest of us and and she said hey I want to do this little craft fair something with like words like maybe we can make up stories or poems and Carrie Ann Holt who's another one of our our members she was like I have these old typewriters I could bring those maybe we Mm -hmm, could use those mm -hmm. like that sounds cool why not We just started using the typewriters. The sound also attracted people over to our little booth. The choice was kind of like an organic thing that happened. You can't correct. The typewriters that we have, they're all manual typewriters. There's no correcting ribbon or anything like that. There's no delete key. So you make a mistake and that's it. It's kind of like life. I think it's actually freeing. I know I'm going to make mistakes, so I'm not worried about that aspect of the poem. And, And I also think... For the the people who are getting the poem, it adds to the authenticity because they Mm -hmm. know this is is real. There'll be mistakes that I catch and I can go like Mm -hmm. backspace and X over those. It makes the poem itself, I think, look even more, be even more authentic.
0: For sure. Well, and you mentioned the noise. There is something about that. And I don't know if it's nostalgic because... I know, I remember my mother using a typewriter and that noise and the return carriage and all of the different elements that come into play when using a typewriter. But there's that, I think, for people that aren't even necessarily using the typewriter. It does create its own kind of like ambiance. But also, as the person using it, I think there's such a tactile difference. I know with a laptop, I just got a new laptop a couple months ago. Yes. And I had to adjust to the <laughs> yeah. keyboard because they keep making the keys easier to push. Like there's just no resistance, hardly at all. Yes. And I have to adjust every time I'm on a, a, a new laptop. It's actually too easy. So do you have any thoughts about that, about the actual the effort yeah. of typing? You have
1: to type like you mean it. So yeah, we'll have like older... People who use typewriters when they were, were younger and they will come up and like, oh, I had a typewriter like that. And they love it for that aspect. But kids also love typewriters, too, because a lot of them have never seen them. And they come up and they're like, how does it work? How does it put mm-hmm. the letter on the paper? And then they'll come around and try it. i was like, you want to try typing? Like, sure. And every one of them will hit way too light. On there, just like you said, because it's it's mm-hmm. they're used to the laptop. It takes them a while, but then they they like it. You can see like their faces mm-hmm. light up and they're kind of pounding away at the keys. They all sure. want to spell out their name first, and then what I think is really cool too is each letter is being imprinted permanently on a piece of paper, and it's this physical thing which I think is is lacking mm-hmm. a lot in digital age of today. I, I love that. I think having a physical copy of the poem especially for kids who just aren't used to that the clacking and the rhythm actually helps me hear the poem a bit and so having the the cadence or whatever rhythm or meter Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to to achieve
0: I have some friends that actually write longhand which which honestly I'm not gonna lie to you I think is insane and (laughs) I type very fast and so that's something if you put me on a typewriter I would have to adjust it would probably take me a couple days but On a laptop, I can rip out a draft pretty quickly because my fingers can actually keep up with my brain for the most part, whereas longhand, there's no way. But from people that I know that have switched to doing a first draft longhand or using a typewriter, which I do have some friends that do that as well, and I know that there's there's almost a movement among writers to move to a typewriter at the first draft because... You can't get on Twitter on your typewriter. You are writing, and that's all.
1: It's so tempting when I'm writing on a, on a computer. I'll write something out, yep. and then I'll read it, and like, ah, eh, yep. nope, and just highlight that and delete it and start over. Like you can't do that on a typewriter, or I guess you could on the longhand, mm-hmm. just erase everything <laughs> or start over. But so it forces you mm-hmm. to to get words on the page and keep them there. I think is is a really great thing. I taught poetry workshop last year, and I'm teaching a couple early this next year. And a a lot of it is on that aspect Mm of overcoming writer's block, using something like a typewriter and using Mm -hmm. some of the the techniques of writing a poem on the spot. I found, which is really weird again with a typewriter, I can type for four or five hours or whatever. And my fingers do not hurt versus on a laptop they do because you're so, yeah. uh, most laptops, you're so scrunched together and kind of hunched in versus a typewriter, you're moving. There's more physical motion. It's kind of up and down because the keys are different levels.
0: The typewriter has like leveled keys. They, they're they up and down. They're step laddered. Whereas with the laptop, they're totally flat. And that's actually completely unnatural because your wrist is bent at an angle. They're hanging down over your keys. So, I mean, I struggled a right. little bit, not a lot, but enough with Purple Tunnel. And it was this new laptop. Like, I know that's what it was because laptops keep getting Mm -hmm. thinner and smaller. It might be like 10 pieces of paper thick. Like, it's so (laughs) tiny. I mean, I had to bend my wrist down in order to type because my laptop is so thin. That was, it was a problem for a little bit and I had to adjust to it.
1: Tom Hanks is a huge. I don't know if you know is a huge typewriter aficionado, and he he collects them and writes about them and with them. And uh, he actually wrote us a really nice note about our book from the poetry aspect, but also for the typewriter aspect.
0: That's amazing. Mine is
1: it's a 1928, you know, typewriter. So and it still works with all the original parts. These were machines that were built to last. I think today you'd be hard pressed to find something that's built to last that long
0: oh absolutely you would we're a replacement culture i would be thinking who owned this who used this typewriter what was it used for whose hands have this passed through
1: history that each typewriter has i think is is amazing we've had some people now will will donate typewriters to us my parents use this or my late husband used this and they'll tell us a story and you know he typed his dissertation or whatever on this typewriter and (laughs) jody her typewriter is a 1970 Litton Imperial, and she got it from her mother-in-law. She was, a, she was a doctor, and she was a UK medical consultant for Penthouse Forum. And so whenever, <laughs> <laughs> so whenever there were medical things to be responded to for Penthouse Forum, she typed them on that typewriter. And so like we're always like, the things that have been typed on this typewriter.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. So when everyone says, you know, you don't know where it's been, it's the truth. <laughs> it's a, you don't know where it's been. Wash your hands. You don't know where that laptop's been.
1: <laughs> just spray a little ISO on there. You'll be fine.
0: <laughs> well, and you know, with laptops, they're usually a one person use. I mean, I use mine until they're, they're dead. So, cause they're so expensive. So it's like buying a new one,
1: they get outdated. Like I have my MacBook air, which is a t- 2011. It won't run some of the newer operating systems. So you just, you, you can't use them if you want to be you know up to date
0: right yeah if you had a computer from 1922 it would not work
1: (laughs) (laughs) it would not work if you had a computer from 2002 it probably i mean it would work but you couldn't
0: you couldn't do anything with it it. no and you couldn't get online it's obsolete within like probably six months at this rate
1: i feel like there there is this actual connection you know whether it's the physical connection with who owned that typewriter before or just with all the Authors and poets and whoever who came before, who all wrote this way, and so you're even you have that kind of connection with some great literary past. I think with a typewriter
0: coming up. Sean's tips for busting through writer's block, the need for poetry today, and the difficulty of making a living as a poet. Also, the close knit circle of the children's lit community. Something terrible happened in her basement. Haley can feel it. Four girls went missing several years ago, and the police never solved the case. But Haley knows the missing girls were murdered. How else can she explain the hostile presence in her house? The ghostly girls need something from her, and unless Haley can figure out what they want, she might be next. The cellar meets the sixth sense in The Fade, a new novel by Demetria Lunetta. Available now. So you mentioned you're teaching and you mentioned talking about writer's block and how to get past it. And I'm sure that is something that people would love to hear more about. So what are some of your tips and are they specifically for use with a typewriter?
1: I think a typewriter helps because Mm -hmm. again, you, you can't go back. There's no delete. I think doing exercises with a typewriter or writing it out. I think it's harder again with a computer because there's that a, the temptation of being distracted mm-hmm. and B, I think the bigger temptation of just deleting what you just wrote. And so then you're you're back back to square one. I go through the process of here's somebody giving you a topic and writing a poem about that, making a poem up on the spot. Take two to three minutes mm-hmm. and write a poem, write it out longhand on cheese or whatever topic I decide to give them. And then having people actually do that, then they all realize, oh, I could do this. You just wrote a poem, maybe a bad, crappy poem, but you just wrote something. And now you have something that you can take and if you want to, you can massage it into into something else or you might love it. Sitting down and forcing yourself to write Mm -hmm. and imagining you have somebody waiting on you to write whatever it is you're doing right there, I think helps a lot. And then again, it's the idea of embracing that you're going to make mistakes. I have one tattoo. It's my typewriter. And then on the little the piece of paper in the typewriter, it says make mistakes. Not mm-hmm. that you're trying to make mistakes, but that you're going to, and that's part of the process and a great part of the process. Oh, a yeah. mistake on the paper is always better than words trapped in my head every time. I think it's key to, to writing a first draft. And I also really think it's key to, as writers, we kind of get sometimes in the flow and like whether, you know, the muse is coming through you mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I think a lot of that has to do with not thinking too much about what's going on. And so for me, when I'm doing these poetry gigs and I've typed for maybe an hour straight, the barriers sort of come down. And especially if there's a long line of people, somebody gives me a topic I do not think twice, whatever comes into my head, I'm going with. Those are the times I feel like when some of the best poems, or at least the best best nuggets of a poem will, will come out. Oftentimes too, when it's so uh, uh, kind of hectic and I, I'm trying, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fill up the whole page with a poem. I'm just doing a, a short mm-hmm. half page or less poems. So, sometimes those are, I find the best ones. I'm literally just going with whatever comes in and then it's done. It doesn't have to be like this yeah. huge long thing and, and give it to them. i like, Oh, I don't know where that came from, but I really like it. You
0: know? My thing is because I write narratively and I'm writing fiction I always tell people when you're getting stuck in a novel that if you're treating your characters like real people living in a real world, time is passing. If time is passing, something must happen, even if it's something silly. Like, you know, they went to bed and then they woke up, fine. But, you know, what happens next? Like, move them along. Something must happen because time is passing. You're right that we get in our own way. We think too much. We're worried, is this any good? And we spend so much time overthinking not only the use of our time and the words that we're writing, but just we're picking apart the story itself as it comes out of us and not letting it flow. And I think that's a a really big mistake uh, in any type of art, but um, especially in narrative, because when you're just trying to tell a story, if you're thinking too hard about it, you're not going to have a story. You're going to have literary criticism. (laughs) It's like, you don't want to write literary criticism.
1: Right. Right. I also write narrative fiction as well. And I've done this with a couple of my characters is, you know, if I'm stuck or I just I'm like, what What are they doing or what do they want? Or I just don't know where I'm going next. I will give my character a topic to write a poem
0: about. Publishing poetry is extraordinarily difficult. Getting published in general is very hard. Whenever I am talking to people and they're like, I want to be a writer. I'm like, that's awesome. Do that. Also, pay your bills with a job. Because that's just the way it is I mean I it took me 10 years to get an agent so that is its own thing. and when the (laughs) person that I'm speaking to says you know I I'm a poet I'm like that's awesome good for you you have skills I don't however you are not going to make a living being a poet so can you talk a little bit about that about um, trying to get published first (laughs) of all but then also just like being aware of how things are going to work out financially for yourself as a Poetry as an income, I guess.
1: I mean, it's tough to get published in, in anything, but poetry, I think, is is particularly difficult, um, especially if you're doing shorter, one-off poems. Like publishing a poetry collection, I think, can can be tough if you're going into it mm-hmm. thinking. I'm gonna make so much money on this. Then a, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and b, you're you're gonna be broke pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I do think there's been a resurgence in poetry in terms of the verse novels. I think those mm-hmm. are picking up and doing well. I mean, Jacqueline Woodson, Brown Girl Dreaming, which is awesome. One, the, the market for poetry, I think, is 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 increasing. Gosh, you know, I think the world needs more poetry right now, especially. Uh, I teach legal writing for my income income, um, and so I think most writers that I know have another job to supplement mm-hmm. their income and some some of them eventually get to the point where they can write full time but i mean yeah it took me about that long to get an agent too i think it was yeah 8 or 9 years well, yeah we had this book come out it was by a big publisher andrews mcneil and we got some right. you know money from that and it's doing well when we do these gigs for say awesome. Rodeo, we actually get paid pretty well Oh my gosh! Talk about intimidating. We were at the Nantucket Book Festival two years ago, yeah. two summers ago, and Billy Collins was there. He was one of the the authors, so the he's a you know, national poet laureate, and so he came up. We wrote him a couple poems. That was super intimidating. He was impressed, and, and we talked with him, and like had had dinner with him, and and we told him you know what we did, and he's like, wait, so people you know they hire you to do these gigs and pay you, I'm like yeah, he's like you're probably some of the highest paid poets in the country. I'm like, well, that just says something for the poetry industry. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, we make a, not, again, nothing enough to, to, to support yourself off of, but there's a little bit um, to be made. But I mean, there's a reason that, that we do it. Like I love doing it. It is tough.
0: Poetry is kind of coming back and, and having a heyday at the moment. Definitely <laughs> verse novels uh, for sure in the YA and the middle grade categories. I see them all over the place there's also been a huge uh, rush of Instagram poets and Instagram celebrity in terms of writing poetry. And I also know that some of it has been a little bit contentious. Some people are thrilled that poetry is, is edging into a larger readership and something, the quality of that poetry in Instagram particularly leaves something to be desired. So like, how, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do you, do you think it's a mixed bag or are you just like hooray poetry?
1: Hooray poetry. Like I said, like I think the world needs more poetry right now. I think it's similar to self-publishing. Anybody can can self-publish, and so there's right. a lot of things out there, and there you don't have the quality filters. That, I think, happens as well. If you're just writing tons mm-hmm. and tons of poems and putting every mm-hmm. one of them on Instagram, that's one thing, versus someone who's like, all right, I wrote a bunch of poems, and I'm going to pick this one, and I'm going to put that up there. Going for some sort of balance like that, I, I, I think helps. I think it's great that, that poetry is finding a resurgence in whatever way it can. We post some of our poems on our Instagram account, maybe one yeah. a week or something like that. You, you just have to balance it.
0: The great thing about self-publishing is that anyone can self-publish. And the horrible thing about self-publishing yeah. is that anyone can self-publish. Your work, which may be amazing, is being published right alongside someone that literally took their poop and squeezed it onto a copier and uploaded it. You've got to distinguish yourself from that.
1: Well, and it depends on what right. you want to do. I mean, if you are just like, I just want to see my physical book in print, then that's fine. You know, self-publishing is for you. And if you are just like, my Instagram account is just for me, like I'm just want to see all my stuff through it on my phone or whatever, then that's great. Patience, I think, is, is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. It goes back to a little bit of what I said about using a typewriter. Like, It slows me down just enough that I'm, my mind's not flitting all over the place. It's focused.
0: In a lot of ways, my first draft is in some ways nonsensical. Because I am typing so fast and trying to keep up with my brain that I will just leave out words. Or if my sentence is the cat jumped over the fence, I might have actually typed the cat fence jumped. My hands are just like throwing out more of a feeling of what I'm trying to capture and certainly not, certainly not even (laughs) sentences at times.
1: Finding your process. It's kind of like finding your voice, you know, when you're a writer. Like you start mm-hmm. out copying maybe or mimicking other writers, and that's fine. That's great. Um, but then eventually you, you get to, no, to what works for you. And I think that's the same thing probably with with the process. Doing these on the spot poems, it's it's a microcosm mm-hmm. of that. Like, so I'll get a topic and Sometimes something will pop into my head, whatever it is. And sometimes it's something that has nothing to do with that topic and I'll go with it and hope Mm -hmm. that it like works its way in as, as a good metaphor somehow. But I would say 80 to 90% of the time when I start, I have no idea where a poem is going and I'm just trusting that I will get there. But sometimes when somebody says something, I'm like, oh, I know how I want this to end. Mm -hmm. And I'll kind of back my way into that. And other times it's, it's sort of halfway through, Mm -hmm. I'll be like, aha, here's what's happening. You know, I'm just trusting myself and then something happens in the poem. And then even a smaller microcosm of that when I'm rhyming a poem, I want to end on this rhyme. That'll be good. And so I will then back in it. I'll set up, I'll think of something to Mm -hmm. rhyme with it in the line before. That process is terrifying, but it's also super fun.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about how small the publishing industry is. And I think the story about how you and I met is a fantastic example of that.
1: I was moderating a panel with you, and I forget who the other authors were, but you were one of the authors on the panel I was moderating.
0: And I had looked at my schedule, and it said, your moderator is Sean Petrie. I was like, oh, that's interesting. He has the last name as my friend Brian that I work with. That was it. Like, that was the end of my thought process. Like, right up until we're sitting there doing the introductions at the festival, and the panel is going on, and I say that I'm from a tiny, tiny town, in Ohio that no one has heard of, and that I work in a high school, and you were like, oh, my brother is a principal at a high school, and I'm like, wait.
1: It was a panel, like, you know, for the YA panel, so there's kids out there, and I remember you saying, you're like, wait, no fucking way, and I was like, yes, fucking way. And I was like, wait, sorry, audience, I'm supposed to moderate that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know, I was so amazed that, of course, I said the F word, And I was too.
1: I was like, when does that happen? Oh, that was so cool. Yes.
0: It doesn't happen, but it does because publishing is so small and that's just how it works because and it was bizarre even to me that I myself had not put it together because I had talked to your brother before about the fact that I wanted to be a writer and about that when I did get an agent, he was like, oh, that's really cool because I know how hard that is because my brother has been trying to get an agent because at that time you were also in the agent search. And then all of a sudden that all came together. And that is a microcosm of actually how small the publishing industry is. Just even in researching you for this podcast, I came across names of people that you have worked with that I have also worked with, like Cynthia Latex-Smith. Oh my gosh, I mean, here's another example of, of how small this industry is. So that smallness, do you think it makes it a friendlier place? Which I believe it does, but it doesn't have to be either or. But it also, I think, can be a little bit insular sometimes. Do you think that that smallness makes it harder to break into?
1: The smallness is, is awesome. And within each industry, like I'm primarily focused on kid lit and children's literature, and that particular industry is, is very small. You get to know those people. And especially, I think there are also people who are like hubs in that, like Cynthia, like Cynthia Lytic Smith is, you know, she knows everyone. And so when you're, you get to know her and then, then then that happens. Especially I think for pre-published authors, you're friends with friends or at least acquaintances with all these people who have so much knowledge. I teach at University of Texas Law School and I was a lawyer for a little bit. That industry is not mm-hmm. necessarily the most, the, the friendliest legal industry versus the people who are in children's writing. like It's a pretty cooperative spirit. It can be hard to break into. I mean, any writing is, is just tough to do. I feel like I'm friends with all these these writers. I should be friends with like the people in the sales and acquisitions department. That's the people who are, they're the ones making the decisions on stuff. So, there are some writers like Cynthia who like, she took me under her wing right when I started writing more than almost any industry that I know of, like having almost mm-hmm. like these mentor figures who will do that and go out of their way. And back when I first started writing as well, there was a conference here in Austin and Lori Halse Anderson came in for that. It was her pick, airport pickup ride and stuff. You know, we we're talking. She's like, do you write? And I was like, I, I do. I just started writing. She's like, Well, give me what you've got. I'm like, Uh. She's like, Yeah, give me the first 25 pages. I'm like, Oh, okay. And so she took it. And then the next day, we mm-hmm. sat at Starbucks for an hour. She had gone through the whole thing, and she's like, This is great. And I love this. And da da da. And and to this day, like we are still good friends, and she has helped me a lot it's meant so much to me that you've done this. And she's like, all I want is for you to pay it back. Like when you get to this spot, do that for somebody else.
0: That that's how it works. I mean, and you must, you must pay it back. It's all karma. And I feel that way. I mean, that's why I do this podcast and that's why I do the blog is because, um, that's my way of, you know, helping people because I was helped for sure by people that were ahead of me in the game. And you really can't beat it. I had someone, I think it was an editor said to me that, uh, she feels like the publishing industry is the last apprenticeship industry. And I feel like that's true.
1: You're just doing it because it's it feels right.
0: Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbell. If you find the podcast or blog helpful, please consider making a donation by visiting gofundme.com and searching for Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire. Or visit the blog by going to writerwriterpantsonfire.blogspot.com. Click on the podcast tab and then the PayPal button. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. Join me next week for another episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where writers talk about things that never happened to people that don't exist.